the Southern Trace Podcast and Springtime 2023. On our podcast, we explore enriching topics about Memphis, the Mid-South, and beyond, all discussed from our unique vantage point in the western corner of Tennessee. I'm your host, Christian Owen, publisher of Memphis's River City Lifestyle Magazine. For our May and June 2023 series, we are featuring points of view from both the ladies and the gents. Joining us for our ladies' episodes are Nikki McVean, creator of Dane's Road Antiques, and Sharon Cash, a beloved community leader who recently retired from her leadership role at the Salvation Army. Nikki is interviewed by Jeannie Tabor, our River City Lifestyle Publication Director. Sharon talks with Kit Garrett, our Publication Manager, available on Apple and Spotify and brought to you from the Young Avenue Sound Studio in Cooper Young, Memphis. Enjoy. Today I am sitting down with Sharon Cash, and she is featured in our May issue, our women's issue. And Sharon, it's so good to have you on today. Thank you so much. It's awesome to be here. Yeah, today I just kind of wanted to talk with you more about just what your background with. You've, of course, worked with the Salvation Army for years and years, um, and I would love for you to just give us a little background of how you first started with the Salvation Army and started with that specifically in Memphis. Oh, it's a very interesting story because uh, coming to the Salvation Army uh, was not anything more than me being a friend who had called me uh, and shared that there was a position that was available that she believed was my job. She did not hesitate to say that it was my job. And um, I was working at that time with a program called Synergy here in Memphis and uh, deciding whether or not I was going to go back to school. So I got the call and um, her name is Karen Dennis. And she called me and my respect for her and the fact that she felt that I was able to to fulfill this position. And I knew the lady that had the job that she was saying was mine. And I knew at that time that she had numerous initials behind her name. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I wanted to, uh, because I was flattered to come and uh, do what my friend had asked me to do, I completed the application and I was called back for an interview. And uh, when I went back for the interview, the um, supervisor at that time, the director at that time of the uh, social services position uh, had forgotten she had interviewed me because her administrative assistant was out and um, she had left. And so I was okay. I was really okay (laughs) with it. But it turns out that she had forgotten something, came back through the front door and I was standing there. And she was so apologetic. And then she went ahead and interviewed me at that time and basically hired me that night. Wow. What was that like for you to sit in that interview then after, you know, thinking, oh, this might not happen? It was comfortable. Mm -hmm. And I say that in hindsight, uh, because it wasn't that I had anything to lose Mm -hmm. or that I had any expectation of even getting the job. And as we sit there and talk and move from an interview to just a conversation and her respecting my journey and how I got there and the experience I had had thus far. But 
um, when I left, she says, well, I want you to know now as I was leaving that I am going to recommend you for this position. I think that you will be um, wonderful in the position. And uh, I graciously thanked her and went home with no expectations again of them calling me because I knew we had the position. I, at that time, I was licensed, but I'm one of the few people that were licensed before they were ever degreed. Uh, I went back and got my degrees after I began to work with the Salvation Army. Uh, so they called me um, probably to, it, it was a, a longer time than normal when you had a position. So when I got the phone call and uh, they offered me the position, I uh, I was surprised. And uh, at that time, it was basically in my head, okay, God, I don't know what you're doing, yeah. but I'm cool with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's how I got there. Oh, mm -hmm. amazing. Um, and so backtracking a little bit, what was it like for you? What was your experience like growing up in Memphis? Oh, <laughs> Growing up in uh, the general area of where the Purdue Center Pope is, mm -hmm. um, I grew up on a street called Exchange Street, right off of Poplar. And uh, at that time, it was um, a mecca of lower socioeconomic African Americans, but it was such an amazing community. Mm -hmm. I still have memories of, of being there. And moved from that location to where my home house is now, and that is on Leon, uh, which is probably about five blocks, literally, mm -hmm. uh, from what the Salvation Army is. Wow. And so I was there until I uh, graduated high school. So went to Humes. <laughs> I went to Humes. I went to Gordon Humes Northside. So that area of town is uh, really the nucleus of uh, most of my experiences. Mm -hmm. And once becoming adult, I, I lived in uh, Raleigh. And uh, so just ba have traveled some, but really uh, have lived in the north part of Memphis most of my life. I now even stay in St. Akeel. Wow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And how has that place kind of evolved and changed for you over, you know, so many years in your experience living there? When I uh, began to work at the Salvation Army at that time, the uh, Hertz Village mm -hmm. existed and it, um, the environment had plummeted uh, in so many ways. At that time, when I got there, you had women coming into the program uh, so that they could stay at the Salvation Army three nights. And if they stayed three nights and had a homeless status, mm -hmm. they could move into Hertz Village. So it gives a, a vivid, very vivid picture of what it was in that area mm -hmm. um, because to come and stay at the homeless shelter so that you can get an apartment in a drug-infested, very violent neighborhood said a lot about um who the client of the Salvation Army was. So with that being said, seeing the area of town where I lived in to move from a, a thriving uh, community to just being um, totally overwhelmed with poverty, uh, that it, it, you could see the impact of generations of being in that area. But one of the things that began to happen when they began to remove the projects in that uh, area you saw really uh, the children move from the area. So you started impacting schools in that area from going from being very thriving schools to non-existent. Uh, 
uh, hymns no longer exist. Um, of course, Manassas was torn down and rebuilt, thank God. But just so many things evolved over the years. And, and uh, even looking out of my window, where my window was, to see what Hearst Village was to this uh, multifamily community now uh, has been very interesting. Uh, but just being able to see the, the valleys and the mountains of uh, growing up in that area, becoming a young adult in that area, but also becoming a victim to the the issues related to poverty, uh, being a recovering person myself. It was, um, I'd say I got a PhD in life. (laughs) Uh, And and, uh, I often laugh, and many people know that I say this quite often, and that is that uh, Oprah couldn't do me in, in one show. I'm a miniseries yeah. because <laughs> there are just so many things. So when you ask me about the evolution of, of the things changing in the area being in Memphis, today, looking at what our city looks like now, um, there is sadness, but there is also a lot of joy is the best mm-hmm. word because I know how resilient we are as Memphians mm-hmm. to keep moving forward, to, mm-hmm. to, to understand much of this is life. Uh, in general, but also that there are communities, there are so many people that are not a part of what's on the news, mm-hmm. that are thriving, that are, are, are loving in their community, that are raising amazing children, that are uh, taking advantage of the educational services that are often, even though offered, um, even though that there are some challenges and so many more things that we can do, mm-hmm. there are more people winning in Memphis mm-hmm. than not. Yeah. And I feel like people who are proud to live here and love those communities so much. Mm-hmm. And um, when you ended up going back to school, that was an amazing experience getting into school for you, mm-hmm. first of all. So I would love to hear that story um, about the start of that. Um, early in recovery, uh, I mean, really, really uh, new beginning on every level. Uh, I graduated from Northside, uh, number 14, a, a, a very large class of people, over 400 individuals, and I graduated as a junior, uh, so 16, and I had a two-year-old son. Then my uh, issues with drugs and alcohol um, overwhelmed my life. It was all-consuming. I mean, every aspect of what you may think or believe about what addiction looks like, that was a part of my life. And... Um, I, the day I went to commit suicide and uh, 34 years old from graduating at 16 and then 34, um, I ended up in treatment, outside of treatment, um, two years sober. I'm working at a full-figure dress shop and um, <laughs> I was broke uh, most paydays because I owed it all to the clothes that I had bought, but I look uh-huh. good. I look good. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, so I... Um, I, I started back going to, at that time, Shelby State, and I was just taking some general classes. Um, and um, that particular funding source, it was for um, individuals that were reintroduced to a society and wanted to change their lives. And so when that money ran, ran out, I didn't know what to do. And I uh, was talking to an advisor, and she shared, well, wh- why don't you look at going to a four-year college? And I'm like, okay. I called CBU, and they told me that I had an application on file. I had no 
recollection, I have no memory at all of ever applying for CVU. Mm -hmm. And uh, ultimately, I went and I graduated with my uh, undergrad in uh, psychology. Mm -hmm. And from there, Grand Canyon University, and I have two masters, one in psychology and the other one in leadership with an emphasis in behavioral health. Mm -hmm. I'm a licensed addictions counselor, and uh, I'm an ordained minister as well. Wow, that's quite a few letters at the end of your name okay. now. Okay, isn't it something? <laughs> it isn't is. that something? This is pretty amazing. Yeah. Again, I, I think it's for me. I in, in my quiet time and my my meditative times when I'm reflecting on when I have those opportunities to to look at myself, the intent or energy was never about I need to have them. It was, I knew that I needed those initials to kick down some of the doors that were necessary to advocate for women uh, and children. And uh, so that was always in my heart. And uh, I desired to, uh, to make sure that I positioned myself to have a, a very effective voice uh, based on uh, what I knew, what I learned, uh, and my own experience. Uh, to be able to stand with women that were um, that could not see themselves, mm -hmm. and to always to uh, encourage, mm -hmm. uh, to to for them to know that they are necessary without question, uh, and no matter what God can use what you don't think you have, no matter how small it is, and He can turn that into a foundation that you can stand and and. Uh, let the world know that you can begin again. Yeah, and that idea of beginning again is so beautiful. And at the Salvation Army of, you know, this winter you retired, which is crazy to think about as, you know, we reflect on your journey up until this point and your career and your education, all the things that have led you to now and now being a couple months into retirement. How has it been so far? It has been um, I'm, interesting. Is the best word. So it's had it has some great highs and I won't say lows, but areas that I didn't realize or ever thought that I would have to adjust to. Mm. Just simply um, having to learn how to be at home. Yeah, you know, Absolutely. I just given after all these years of working, it was my assumption that it would just be normal. I think for the first couple of weeks, it was okay, uh, but I, I found that I had to be intentional by not being up at six o'clock. Right, you know, right. and uh, I really not calling and checking in with the Salvation Army and uh, not realizing how how it was consuming in a way that it was so much of who I was that I am having now to navigate and, and include processes in my life that are, that should be for a retired female. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> it's interesting. So two months in and um, I'm getting more and more excited. I uh, have been appointed uh, executive pastor of my church. Congratulations. Yes. Wow. And uh, to God but be the glory. that doesn't sound like retirement. <laughs> and so my, my uh, question to my pastor that um, asked me and appointed me was that, first of all, are you sure I'm the right one that God told you to ask this question of? Okay. Mm -hmm. And then having to be um, before God, uh, is this 
my path that you have for me now. I don't want to say yes because I'm flattered mm-hmm. and, and having issues with not saying, how do you say no to your pastor? Mm-hmm. And uh, so I believe this is the next part of my journey. I am so totally uh, accepting of what he's desiring of me now. So. so what will that role at the church look like for you? We are building it as we're flying. Okay. Um, perfect. <laughs> So it is supporting uh, my senior pastor uh, and making sure that he has all uh, the time that he needs to study uh, and teach and preach. And so whatever I, I, am, I can do to be able to allow him more focus there, um, I'm willing to absorb that, learn how to do it and implement it. So basically, in my head, I, I look forward to loving on our church leaders mm-hmm. and um just being available at this time. Wow. So that's, that's quite a transition though. (laughs) It is. It is. And working with, you know, new people in a new environment. Do you think that, or has that been so far, like more of a transition than you thought it would be? No, really. I've been at Hill Chapel for, uh, as long as I have been sober. So they go together. So I know the congregation. So, um, I'm, 28 years, a uh, member of, of Hill Chapel. So um, I'm very in tune and very knowledgeable of the people there. So that's not a transition. It's simply um, what I do. And yeah. uh, it, it really is what I do. So mm-hmm. bearing the burdens of other people has its challenges. and um, But it also has the gifts. And one of the greatest gifts is that it keeps me before the master mm-hmm. um, because uh, we are his business. Mm-hmm. And uh, my thing is on a daily basis, trusting him with his business. So, yeah. mm-hmm. And how have you over the years, like you said, bearing other people's burdens, how have you balanced that and been able to do that as a part of what you, you know, your job required, but at the same time, keep that far enough to move throughout the other aspects of your life? Well, over the years, I have not always done it well. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important to say out loud. So but specifically for women that have challenging positions that uh, know that we have our, our ebbs and flows and, and how we manage life. But with uh, working with the Salvation Army and even in the position that I, I'm um, growing into now is that I know without a shadow of a doubt that this is God's business. Being at the Salvation Army is God's business that people coming in broken and hurting with their children and, and all of those uh, issues that go along with that, uh, I would be the person that caused them the most harm mm-hmm. if I believed that I was capable of managing that. So I uh, adopted a belief that I think is it should be universal and, and when you're working in that environment is that it is God's business. And so it's up to him. I'll suit up and I'll show up mm-hmm. and he'll empower me to do what it is and that I won't assume that I know what to do and be okay with saying, I don't know. As far as my personal life, that's the part that uh, I've had to learn how to do and uh, really understanding if I don't do self-care, I have nothing to give. I have no... Uh, ability to carry anybody else's weight. Mm-hmm. And I become a part of the problem. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't want to be a part of the problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what would your self-care look like then? Um, 
<laughs> I make sure it is evolved over the years, okay? <laughs> Meditation, uh, massages, a circle of people that I trust yeah. to have uh, conversations with that's not about work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and having opportunities to have a, a social life, whether that be church, whether that be out to dinner with friends, we're making sure that's important. And then family mm-hmm. is a priority. Uh, my family uh, makes the difference. They they keep me uh, grounded, humble, and all of that. We show each other what love looks like. Coming from, uh, I'm one of the ones that were gifted, even though my family was so dysfunctional. But having a two-parent home, um, having uh, a village uh, made a difference, and it has uh, transcended over the years. That's what family looks like. We still gather uh, holidays. We still gather, and uh, we... (laughs) We play cards and we talk loud and, and uh, all of those things. <laughs> and, and we check on each other. And I love you is a, a part of our conversation. Uh, when we end conversations, we don't, uh, we don't neglect to say that. And uh, we understand. And over the years, it just has become a part of who we are. Uh, the human touch is so amazing. So we make sure that we hug. And I know now that that's part of my self-care. And, uh, the, the, you know, the nucleus of it all is having a prayer life. And even if all that is, I don't know what I'm doing, I need you, okay? And I, including, I don't like what you're doing and how you're doing, okay? <laughs> uh, but having a relationship uh, with Christ, I think, is a priority in self-care. Mm-hmm. So being uh, my age now and being retired, so... So I, I'm intentional um, mm-hmm. about uh, just making sure that I do have a social group mm-hmm. that I trust to tell me the truth. And it it makes all the difference in the world. Oh, absolutely. Having those people around you yeah. who you can lean on, that it really does make that huge difference. Yeah. And so moving forward with, of course, now your new role at your church, how do you see your role in being involved with the Salvation Army in retirement? That umbilical cord has not been severed yet. Yeah, <laughs> I can imagine. So I, I would love uh, to get a phone call and, that asks me to come and be a consultant about mm-hmm. Salvation's Army, Salvation Armies across the country, really including programs. Uh, the Memphis Salvation Army, the producer of Hope, really doesn't look like any of the other Salvation Armies across the country. And so I would love to be able to go and talk about how it, it was developed, how it was designed, and how it worked. Mm. Um, so I would love that. I've established since retiring a very new, it's in its infancy, a LLC, mm. Strength-Based Counseling and Consulting. So I'm looking forward uh, because programming works. Uh, we went through a phase here in Memphis of there not being any requirements um, to elevate yourself within Department of Human Services and different things. And and so over the years, I've witnessed so many things that have been started to address poverty and uh, to look at ending homelessness. And uh, one of the things that I know works is uh, having a program requiring, empowering, uh, encouraging um, individuals that uh, it's an assumption that if I give you a house and you're homeless that you're going to be okay and that's simply not true 
without being empowered because so many people, that hard part of our society that nobody really likes to look at or even really go deep within, uh, you have some some people that show up that are homeless that you give them a house, but they never lived anything other than on a couch, on a, um, a, a pallet on the floor, never had any responsibilities to cook because it was never their own. Uh, never knew how to take care of a home. It's just some basic things that you have to not assume. But if you have the opportunity within your organization to provide uh, training and to empower people and not attack their dignity, it makes a difference. But holding people accountable and requiring them. One of the areas that we are in now, and it's called Housing First. And uh, so it has, it's, great things about it and then it has its flaws and so the people that show up at the Salvation Army are the ones that are negatively impacted uh, in many ways by programs such as that so um, not to again diminish what happens with that but when you empower people uh, you can't empower them until you've given them some basic uh, that does not again diminish their dignity I'm the first person that says that we have a, a whole lot of people that have a desire to help, but they may not have the gift. Both of them are necessary, but most of the time the desire may be better helped in the the data keeping into making sure that there is enough money, you know, to, to keep moving forward and not necessarily working uh, in the trenches and, and, and working with those individuals that have been harmed by sympathetic people, not necessarily empathetic people. Mm -hmm. And it makes a difference. Right. You've stressed that difference a lot and the importance of that in order to, you know, truly provide that help. And I think too, when you think about your impact over the last 22 years. At Salvation Army. Yes. In the field, basically 30. What would you say are your two or three primary takeaways from that time? You can begin again more than one time. Then you begin <laughs> again and again. Um, if you're working with women that have children, you have to work with the family and uh, provide the same services that you provide her to her children. And that working in social services should start from the mindset that this is God's business and that you suit up and you show up. How would you define suit up and show up? That even when I don't know what I'm supposed to do, 80% of working in social services is consistency. I say it all the time with the uh, working with the directors at, at Salvation Army, your willingness to be there makes the difference, not only for you, but it makes a difference for them. And when I say make a difference for you is that most people that are in social services that are effective mm -hmm. share many of the similarities of the population that you serve. And when you get that, you understand that part. Uh, it becomes knowing that I may not know what to do today, but if I'm there, there's an opportunity for me to do something. And kindness is the easiest thing that you can offer to anyone that's broken and that's hurting and anybody that's looking for a place to stay. 
And when I can show up knowing that I'm here, I'm willing to be available and used, that maybe somebody will feel better or, or be better as a result of that. And it over the years, I know that it, it does make a difference when you acknowledge that uh, when I'm looking at this this young lady or this person that's in front of me that's so harmed and so broken, and I'm not today. And what I'm doing here uh, will show up in my lifeline. Mm -hmm. That's just the truth about it. Yeah. It just is. And um, so it, it suiting up and, and showing up is that I am responsible for me doing what I said I was going to do when I took the job, and that's getting there, knowing that when I get there, that there will be an opportunity for me to be kind. That shows up everywhere you go in your own personal life. That shows up uh, in your peace uh, and your ability to be what your family needs you to be. Um, and, I, you know, one of my sayings is I work, uh, I'm employed by the Salvation Army. I work for God. And it has been uh, foundational in me moving forward mm -hmm. and being there 22 years. And, and um, I had nothing to do with going, mm -hmm. okay? I always said that I will have nothing to, they didn't even know they couldn't fire me, yeah. okay? <laughs> <laughs> so it was, it was um, a day that I knew, okay? Yeah. My assignment here is up. You know, I've watched people over the years that retire and they work their life and there was nothing on the other side. Um, of retiring. And, and that's not bad because that may have been what they chose. Um, mm -hmm. Mortality play, you know, makes a difference in how you um, look at how you want to move forward. And it's just so much more I want to do mm -hmm. and not be on in advance clock. No, I mean, I feel like there's, you could do anything. <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, well, Sharon, it was so great getting to chat with you again. And, you know, I'm so excited to have you on and our listeners be able to hear your, some of your story. I know that's just the tip of the iceberg. But thank you for coming on. Yes, okay. <laughs> thank you.